which we all have either thought about or we've uttered, this idea of I'd rather have Jesus than anything. If we have at any point trusted in what Jesus has done to make a way for us to have peace with God, if we've trusted, if we've come to the knowledge, the awareness, the feeling the weight and the guilt of our sins, realizing that Jesus is the only one who can do anything about that, then what happens, we trust him to take care of our sin. We ask him to take our sin, pay our, pay our sin debt. We know that Jesus went to the cross for us. We've trusted in that, believing that only he could do that as the sinless son of God. And we confess that. Then we, in, in essence, have said, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. But there are points and times in life where we have that challenged in our, in our faith walks, in our lives. Really, daily, we are presented with choices to say things other than, I'd rather have Jesus. And Peter has been telling us in his writings, in 1 Peter and in this second letter, that there are those who have left the church, left the faith, because at some point they said, I'd rather have something else than Jesus. These false teachers are a problem. They have been a problem in Peter's day, just as they are a problem today. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we're looking at the last, the last few verses. Peter has been writing this entire chapter. <laughs> to warn the church of these false leaders. And why does he spend so much time talking about this one thing? Come on, Peter. Really? Beating a dead horse. Well, you know why Peter does it? Peter loves the church. And what else? Peter is obedient to Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 20, 21, Jesus commissions Peter to take care of the flock, to, to tend the sheep, to care for the lambs. And that's the church in those days as the church today. The church would need watch care then, and the church need watch, needs watch care today. False teachers were a problem then, and they are a problem today. And Peter says starting in verse 17 about these false teachers. He says, These false teachers, they're springs without water. They're mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For while speaking out arrogant words of no value, these false teachers, in verse 18, they entice by fleshly desires, by indecent behavior, they entice those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. These false teachers, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what anyone is overcome by this, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus, if they've escaped, they are again entangled in these defilements and are overcome then the last state has become worse for them than the first. Peter says, For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away 
from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. This is actually a quote of Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. Peter makes his concerns known, and he uses language using these contrasts. These contrasts, they they show comparisons and differences. They show opposites, where we see one thing, but it's actually something else. What we think is A, but it's actually B. And Peter says, these false teachers, they're, they're springs without water. They're mists driven by storms. They're, they're empty. They're, they're dried up. We've probably all seen a movie or a, or a TV show where there's a man stranded in the desert, and he comes upon an area that looks to have some life. There's, there's some palm trees and, and some, some water, and he, and he finds what he thinks to be an oasis. It's going to provide sustenance for life and, and, and some water and some shade. But he gets to it and what does he find? It's dry. It's barren. It's an illusion. It's not what it seems. Peter says that these false teachers are mists driven by storms. They're, they're dark, foreboding clouds that have no rain. They obscure light. But that's it. It's not what we think. It looks like one thing, but in reality it's something else. And Peter says that these false teachers, they have appointments reserved for them for the black darkness. Judgment. We've seen judgment throughout this letter. But we see this picture of images and truth, and they're going in opposite directions. Verse 18, Peter says, These false teachers, while speaking out arrogant words of no value, empty words, they entice by fleshly desires, by indecent behavior. And they're enticing ones who've barely escaped from the ones who live in error. They, they, they offer words, arrogant words, no value, they're worthless, they're empty. But these words entice, they sound attractive to those who listen. And, and what happens, these are words which encourage certain behaviors, fleshly desires, and decent behaviors. These are predators. These teachers are in essence predators, and they are actively, intentionally, they're seeking prey. Who is the prey? Well, the prey are those Peter says, who have barely escaped. They're, they're what I call the survivors of sin. You've seen them. If you've, if you've come to Christ at any point, which you have, most of you, many of you, you're fresh in your faith. You're, you're, you're trying to figure out all of this God stuff and all this Jesus stuff, and you're looking for whatever you can find. Well, there are false teachers who were watching you. Some were wanting to lead you astray at that point. And that's what's happening here. The prey are those who are fragile in their faith. And, and these prey, they're often, as I said, they're new believers. 
ones who are checking out the claims of the gospel. And malicious liars, they want to swoop in and they want to steal them. If you go to Mark 4, Jesus says, Seed fell on rocky ground where there wasn't much soil, and immediately the seed springs up because it has no depth of soil. That's Mark chapter 4, verse 5. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched because it had no root, it withered away. And so, some of these have heard the word of joy, they have no root in themselves, and they become easy prey for these false teachers. And these false teachers, Peter says in verse 19, the teachers promise freedom. And what's interesting, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. The teachers are saying, this is the way to go. Follow me. It's free. It's easy. But they themselves are slaves. These false teachers, they endorse and they condone indecent behavior. They tell these new believers, these children of faith, these fresh followers who don't know any better, one of the biggest lies that they tell is this one. Follow your heart. Doesn't that sound good? It's noble and altruistic. Follow your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says this about the heart. Above all things, the heart is deceitful. Indulge yourselves. Follow me. Some of you read the NIV, and verse 19 in the NIV reads it this way. They promised them freedom while they themselves were slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. We all deal with sin. What may trip you up might not trip me up. Peter says in verse 20, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they've escaped, they are then entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. If these survivors of sin, if they've escaped the corruption and, and the foulness of the world, they, they've escaped by the knowledge of Jesus because of what they've learned and what has been revealed to them about sin and about Jesus, they've been given an escape. Thanks be to God. But... If they are again entangled in these defilements, if they are overcome, Peter says the last state will become worse for them than the first. In essence, in this example Peter is giving, these who are following these false teachers, they will have rejected Jesus as Savior and Lord. And you know what? It's not just the prey. It's the, it's the predators themselves. They're all tangled in the web together. Both the teachers and those whom they are enticing. The last state has become worse than the first. That's an odd phrase. It's, it's memorable. You don't forget the phrase. Peter didn't forget the phrase. In fact, it was on his mind. He had heard it years before. He had heard Jesus say the same thing years before. In, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was speaking to, to the crowds, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they're continually trying to trip him up. 
And they come asking for signs. And Jesus says that is, it is an evil and adulterous generation who asks for a sign. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. And it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied. It's swept and it's put in order, but there's nothing there. That's interesting. There's nothing living there. It looks good. It looks clean and put up, but there's no signs of life. So what happens? Jesus says the spirit goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. They go in, they live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will be also with this evil generation. Peter remembers Jesus saying this. It's a strange story. Jesus said that this unclean spirit comes out of a man. It passes through waterless places seeking rest. It does not find it. Interesting, you know, Peter was talking about these springs without water. Interesting similarity. That's not accidental. Can you visualize a windswept, desolate, barren wilderness? It's neither daylight nor dark. It's bleak. And the spirit is howling across this wasteland of a landscape. And it, it has nowhere to go, so it just circles. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. It decides to go home. And here's something that if it has the option of going home, it certainly wasn't cast out by the Son of God, was it? The unclean spirit finds its former home unoccupied. It's swept, it's put in order. Things give an appearance, but it is unoccupied. No current spiritual activity. And so it goes, and it takes along seven other spirits, more wicked than itself. They go in and they live. I mean, really, if you're going to a party, you bring a friend or seven. <laughs> they go in, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first because there's no Holy Spirit at home. It looks nice, but there's no true evidence of Holy Spirit activity. And Jesus says, this is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Have you ever been around something where evil is almost tangible? You can almost touch it. You can tell when, when something or someone is off. And Peter, is, he's saying it's not just the prey, it's the predators themselves. They end up all tangled in this web both the teachers and those whom they are enticing. Tom Schreiner, he, he says this, Why was the last state worse than the first? Well, it was worse because those who had experienced the Christian faith, those who had experienced the Christian faith and then rejected it, were unlikely to return to it again. Peter says in verse 21, For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. 
to have known. And having known it, and gone in an opposite direction. And Peter says in 22, it's happened to them according to that proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit. A sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Opposite directions. And while we see canines as man's best friend here in the East, dogs are universally despised. They're unclean, just as are pigs. And Schreiner would go on to say, the pro- he points out that the proverb regarding the dogs hails from Proverbs 26.11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. The point of the Proverbs, he continues, the point is easy to see. Dogs return to what is disgusting and unclean, sniffing even at their own vomit. Similarly, those who have pronounced the Christian faith have returned to what is disgusting, finding it more attractive than the way of righteousness and the sacred command. Pigs, after washing themselves clean, spy the mud and wallow in it. Similarly, those who confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then deny Him are like pigs who are washed clean and then return to their original filth. These false teachers have turned from the things of God. They have not allowed the Holy Spirit into their lives to be sovereign. That's something we, I think, so often miss. We want to be saved from sin. We want to be saved from hell. We want to have our ticket to get into heaven, but we struggle with wanting Jesus to be in charge. Letting the Lord be sovereign. And, and what has happened, these, these teachers, they've turned back to their old, their old lives and, and their old haunts and their old habits. And they're encouraging others to make the return trip with them. Shriner would add this. He says that walking the aisle, making a profession of faith, making a decision for Christ or Christian baptism... Do not ensure a future destiny in heaven. What? Perseverance is the mark of genuineness. Jesus does the saving. He's the only one that can take care of our sin. But we are called to be obedient. If we have truly allowed the Holy Spirit in our lives to be sovereign then we won't have any problem following the Lord. It'll constantly be a tug of war. (laughs) Paul says that in Romans. It's this challenge, this tug of war between the flesh and the spirit. But who's on the throne of your life and mine? Is the Holy Spirit guiding us and driving us? Schreiner says, Perseverance is the mark of genuineness, as Peter has taught throughout this letter. Only those who continue to live a life of godliness will receive the reward of eternal life. And we see that in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you 
You who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, hmm, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And then he says this, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the, as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Mm. So the big question, why are false teachers a problem? Well, they present an attractive, self-indulgent alternative to the gospel of Scripture. Are they difficult to spot to some? How are we letting them slip through? Well, what they present is similar, but it will ultimately lead one in the opposite direction. So why do we allow this? Well, we don't mean to. I believe it's because we don't know the word confidently. We don't have to have a formal degree. But do we read the word? Do we read the word? Do we engage it? Or do we just depend on what we might have heard years ago? Do we trust and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us through these difficult things we see in the word? We're called to be on guard and test everything by the word. The Apostle John wrote toward the end of his life in the letter of 1 John chapter 4, he wrote this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't believe everything you hear, because there's lots of spiritual fluff out there. It's what I call guitar shop theology. A lot of times you have well-meaning, well-intentioned persons, sincere persons. They dole out spiritual nuggets that they sound good, Mm. and they're positive, and they are uplifting, and they are encouraging, but they just aren't biblical. They aren't biblical. They don't point to the Christ in the Bible. And a lot of times it's an incomplete picture of Jesus. Or maybe, maybe we're pointed, we're encouraged to read something that adds just a bit extra to Scripture, like the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproving, calls us out for correction. That's what it's for, it, to bring us back on the, on the path of righteousness, so that the person, the man, the woman, the child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word of God is sufficient. It doesn't change. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. These false teachers, they've always been a problem. 
Paul writes to the church in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I'm amazed that you, he's writing to the church, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, God, who called you by the grace of Christ, his son, for a different gospel. There are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel of heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So question, is it possible that sometimes we like to give too many things the benefit of the doubt? Do we feel like we should be nice and nice to a fault because we're Christians? We don't want to be rude or ugly, but we have to pay attention to the information which is being dispensed. There's a church, actually, in the New Testament, which did just the very thing. In Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas, they, they are departing, they depart from Thessalonica by night. The Jews are, have put a bounty on their heads, and so Paul and Silas, under cover of night, they leave Thessalonica and they go to Berea, and they arrive, they go into the synagogue of the Jews. And we read in Acts 17 that these who were in the synagogue were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. They've come to Sunday school and they're ready. They've come to church and they're ready. And this is what happens. They examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. While Paul and Silas are teaching, but they come and they're listening to everything Paul and Silas are saying. And, and again, they don't have their NIV or their RSV or their, their NASB. They have the Law of the Prophets. And Paul and Silas are pointing out Jesus as Messiah, the fulfillment of everything in the Law of the Prophets. And it says here, many of them believed. We are told to test the Spirit, but we have to be discerning. And if you've, if, if you've realized that you, that, you've, that you need to turn from your sin, if you've trusted in what, what Christ has done to take care of your sin, that he's gone to the cross to pay your sin debt, sinless Son of God, he's the only one that can do it. By faith, you've believed that Jesus as the Son of God could and would do that. That he has that ability and that power to take your sin upon his sinless life. And if you invited Jesus to be in charge of your life, you've turned from your sin, you've turned to him and you say, Jesus, I, I want you to be not just Savior, but I want you to be Lord. If you've accepted his gift of salvation by faith, then you have his Holy Spirit in you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says that. The very life of God is in you. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. If you trust Him to help you as you read and study His Word, you'll be able to know when something comes your way that doesn't line up. Not if, but when. The alarm will go off. His Word will teach you and confirm 
but only if you and I read it. Be careful to which voices you listen. Distractions abound. Will you and I be able to identify them as distractions? Well, that's that's why we have our Bibles. God's living word. We're to check and verify everything we hear. Everything we're taught. Does the Bible tell me so? You see, if we really, really know the word, the enemy is going to have a harder time trying to distract us off the path to life and to try to turn us around and go in the opposite direction. The Lord has paid too high a price dying on the cross for us not to follow him and his word. He has paid too high a price. You can trust him to lead you in that right direction. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, as we saw early in our time today, your love and kindness, your covenant loyalty to us is everlasting. You won't break that covenant which you ended up paying with yourself. Jesus, the very life of God, the Son of God, paying our sin debt, keeping up the end of that covenant. You paid the covenant in yourself, Father, by what Jesus has done. And that can't be undone. Lord, help us to come to a place this morning where we would say again, I'd rather have Jesus 